Hey, hello, friends, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Mike Adelic. I'm your host, Mike Brancatelli. Thank you for joining me today. And if you're new, thanks for checking the show out. Um, we, uh, we have a lot of uh, different kinds of episodes here. Sometimes we have episodes with guests, sometimes just solo episodes of me ranting or maybe telling a story. I have a, a four-part ayahuasca adventure story where I talk about the first time that I drank ayahuasca. That's back in the earlier episodes. Uh, but anyway, thank you. Thanks for, for choosing to listen. And um, if you are a listener regularly and you get value from this show, just uh, talk about it, you know? I think, you know, more than... I, I talk about this all the time on the show, right? Like, ways that you can support the show. Like, go to iTunes and leave a five-star review. Make sure to click that five-star review for Mike Adelic. Mike Bragatelli thanks you, you know? Uh, <laughs> Go to Patreon, patreon.com. That's www.patreon.com slash Mike Brank, B-R-A-N-C. You can support this show for as little as $1 a month. Thank you. Eat shit and die. No, <laughs> you, uh, you can support this show simply just by talking about this stuff. Um, you know, seriously, I mean, there's uh, sometimes I forget how... Um, out of the realm of of the mainstream conversation that these topics are. And I get messages from you guys that listen to the show and tell me that your lives have been enriched from just having access to these kinds of conversations and these kinds of thoughts and ideas. And that goes and, and then that goes and, and spurs you on to communicate these ideas with your your girlfriends or your wives or your significant others and your friends or family members, if that's the case. And that is really what it's all about. I mean, the spread and dissemination of information that's, you know, that, that the things that we're talking about here on this show to try and seep them into the public mind, to the public consciousness, you know, to get these topics to be more accepted into the three by five card of, of allowable thought and opinion. Um, and, uh, and, and that's, that's really what it is. You know, uh, I, I was recently, you know, hanging out with some people. I found myself in, in a conversation where, uh, you know, it just, it just wasn't my conversation. It just wasn't a fit. It, I, I just couldn't really participate. Um, there was nothing really available for me to kind of chime in and to say things. Although, when asked upon what I was doing and, you know, this sort of thing, I explained that I was going to be going to Peru and I was going to be taking part in ayahuasca ceremonies. And they were curious. What is that? I never heard of that before. I don't know what that is. You know, so sometimes we take for granted because we who listen to the show, we're kind of in this world. Um, but I, 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 I talk about it very matter of factly, you know, to my parents, to relatives, to friends. I just talk to them very matter-of-factly about what it is that this is all about because this is a significant part of the human experience. This is a part of the human experience that, that uh, doesn't really, you know, that, that gets kind of pushed under the rug but doesn't deserve to be pushed under the rug, right? So I talk about it just in the same way that someone would talk about watching the football game. 
Oh, what was the score of the football game? I don't know. What was the score when you took five dried grams of, of mushrooms in silent darkness? You want to hear about that? Um, but if, you know, when people ask, I talk about it in a matter-of-fact, simple way. And um, if they have questions, I answer them. And I try and leave all of the, like, dude, like, you got to try this. Like, it's sick. Like, you know, like I, I leave all that stuff out. I leave it all out um, because at the end of the day, you can't really force anybody onto, onto psychedelics. You can't force anybody onto your way of thinking. Um, it, you just have to sort of allow them to have the space to discover it themselves. You know, so if you, if you can kind of, you know, someone once told me, as good as friend of mine told me that, uh, you know, yeah, it, it's it, it's difficult because you feel that you're you've just discovered something, right? Like when I first discovered psychedelics, like I, I was like, oh my god, like I need to tell everybody about this. I need to scream from the mountaintops. I need to just run up to every person and be like, do you have any idea what's going on here? You know, do you know what I just experienced? But it's you can't you can't do that. You know, you can't. And she was talking about it. She's like, you know. Imagine, like, you know, they ever see those guys on, like, the Venice Beach boardwalk and they have, like, a boombox and they're talking about, like, Jesus is for you and you must accept the Lord and they're, like, screaming and yelling at people and they're blasting it out of this boombox or with a megaphone or something. Yeah, that's not really appealing, you know. No one's like, oh, yeah, that sounds warm and inviting. That sounds right, like, I want to know more about this. No, we look at that person like they're crazy, you know, and we ignore them. and. It's irritating. It's very irritating to hear to hear something like that. No matter if you think that you've, you know, just discovered the lost city of Atlantis and you're running down the streets and you want to tell everyone about it, it's it's very hard to penetrate, you know, you, you, it's a delicate kind of thing to do. So, she said, you know, when you're communicating these sorts of things, and we're talking about psychedelics and consciousness and just, you know, communicating from a deeper understanding of love and 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 compassion and you know expanded um an expanded realm of of reality talk about it like you're at a campfire and you're sharing a story and it's like hey you can come over here and you can sit down and you can listen if you'd like and we're just going to talk and you can ask questions and I'll answer them and that's it and there's no force there's no dogma there's no you got to believe this. You don't know what you're talking about. It's just this is what it is from my point of view. And if you can kind of relate to that, if that seems like this is interesting to you, then we can go further along the path. But to force anybody, to force this kind of stuff on, on people is, is, um, is wrong, you know. And, and not just wrong, but it's also just kind of annoying too, you know, because not everybody wants to know about this, which is... You know, it's very interesting because it seems to me right now that this kind of self-help, self-improvement category, I don't know if it's this time right now, but it just, this is when I'm recognizing it, but it just seems like everywhere I look from podcasters to authors to YouTube personalities to Instagram personalities, there's the, you know, the daily quotes on Instagram, like, you know, you can do it, like, the time is now. I, I just, you know, I have a couple thoughts about it. 
One is that it makes me like I it makes me understand that, or it leads to me, it leads me to understand that obviously people are looking for something. Obviously, people feel like they have a a void in them in themselves, and that they need to fill it with something. They're looking for a way to improve, but maybe. I don't know if it's necessarily that they're looking for a way to improve to so they can have more money or more success. It seems like a lot of the messaging is that way, right? Like 10 steps to financial health. You're going to want to tune into this podcast when we tell you the eight ways to improve your life today. Number one, you know, get up every morning at 6 a.m., do 100 push-ups. Number two, read the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal front to back. Number three, you know, sacrifice a goat. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, for a while kind of was reading a lot of and listening to a lot of self-help kind of stuff, but I was trying to be very careful about where I got it from because a lot of it is just bullshit. You know, it, it's just, a lot of it is just fluff. It's just, um, and it's, and you know what? It's not for you. Right. It's like everybody wants to be this like ultimate kind of version like, okay, well, clearly the correct way to live is to wake up at, you know, 6 a.m. Okay, then you exercise and then you meditate and then you have, you know, a breakfast that's, you know, only consists of grass and air. It's like, no, everybody has a different physiology. Everybody has a different human experience. So, you know, the way that the way that works for you is the way that works for you. And I think a lot of people really try and push themselves and they get disappointed when they can't live up to the, the books, like the five second rule, Mel Robbins, which is a good book, you know, and, and I've extra, and don't get me wrong. A lot of these self-help books have like a one little nugget of wisdom that you can extract out of it or whatever, you know, like, uh, but, but there's so many of them out there, right? I mean, Tim Ferriss, you know, the Tim Ferriss, like the, four-hour work week, uh, tools of the titans, like tribe of mentors. Yeah, who in their right mind is, is going to digest all of that stuff and follow every single thing to the T, right? I mean, you, we're not robots. We're, we're, we're human beings. You know, there's, we're, we're fluid and we're, we're different. We're unique, each one of us. And I think, you know, for someone like Tim Ferriss, he seems to be like a very, you know, I got nothing against the guy really at all. I, I have his, I have a few of his books, and I've taken some uh, wisdom out of them. But I would never be able to live my life like Tim Ferriss. I just wouldn't. It just doesn't work for me. It's, it doesn't make me feel good. And it's not like the, you know, he just seems to me. He seems like one of these kinds of people that does everything for like maximum efficiency. I am the so I am the complete opposite of that. I am I am uh not efficient. And that's okay. You know? So I think acceptance acceptance is something that needs to be preached in a lot of these things. And that's just not what we hear, right? I mean, you hear this stuff in the Catholic religion right? It's the same thing. It's like something's wrong with you and you need to improve. You need to get to, you, you, you're, you, you're born out of sin and you need to be better. Now, you know, all these kinds of self-help stuff and new age stuff. It's like, you're not, there's, there's, there's something wrong with you 
and you're not being efficient and you're not being productive and you're not hustling. Six ways to hustle your way to success. Number one, stop being so fucking lazy. Number two, you know, maybe being lazy is good for some people. You know, in fact, actually, I read this book by Adam Grant, brilliant Adam Grant. Um, I think he's a professor of business at Wharton. He's a brilliant guy, and he wrote a book called Originals. And he's talking about how creative minds come up with original ideas. And it's, it might seem counterintuitive to a lot of like this kind of self-help crap and what we're being told, right? But a lot of his stuff is he, he explores, um, I remember a, a part of the book where he was exploring people who procrastinate. He's saying actually people who procrastinate come up with creative ideas because it's like the procrastination period is like, this is, is like a gestation period where you're kind of ruminating and pondering and, you know, wondering and taking apart things and analyzing them. And it's like, you know, it's just this machine that's just kind of running in the background while you're, while maybe you're doing other things, but the whole time you're kind of everything you look at, right? Like for this podcast, right? Like I might go a week and the whole time I'm thinking about the podcast, not thinking about the podcast, intentionally, but the whole time I, I know that I'm going to be recording a podcast next week. So everything that I look at in the world, I look at with the context of how can I use this to a creative advantage? How can I maybe mold and shape this to fit my podcast? And that's what a lot of people do. Artists, writers look for inspiration in the world. And there's that kind of gestating period, what we call procrastination. And, and really, that's my whole beef with this whole self-help kind of motivation, inspiration, you know, Instagram quote, uh, get up and go do it, you know, 10 steps to do this, you know, you're not going to believe what happened next, like 40 pound weight loss, this thing, that thing. It's like, it's all functions on the premise that you're not good enough and that other people are getting things and other people are happy and you're not happy and you're not good enough and you need to hustle and you need to work hard and you need to force yourself to fight against your physiology, fight against your biology, fight against your internal uh, feelings, emotions, everything, and just go with this kind of, you know, machine robot-like mode of efficient, productive hustling. Go, go, go. You know, do, do, do. Rise and grind. Rise and grind. (laughs) Sleep a little bit more, you know? I think that's a, lot, a big problem in our world is that the people are just on this treadmill and they just feel like it's never enough and they're going and they're going and they're going and it's never enough. You're enough. You're already enough. And, you know, this, this, this kind of Western mentality of, of progress and innovation and achievement and, you know, hustle, hustle, hustle is... Um, is insane. There's great value in, in, in living fully now in the moment and, ex- and just, just being. I mean, it sounds, it's obviously cliche because a lot of people, you know, say that. But I want to read a quote from Alan Watts. Alan Watts is a big inspiration of mine. If you don't know Alan Watts, please go find anything by Alan Watts. He's incredible. Um, and he's a big inspiration of mine. Um, when I started to kind of come online to a lot of this stuff, 
It was basically a combination of Alan Watts, Terrence McKenna, Graham Hancock, um, obviously, you know, Joe Rogan and uh, Dr. Christopher Ryan and um, Duncan. I would listen to those guys a lot. And so it was a, you know, a combination of a lot of different people that, that I was listening to and um, Dr. Gabor Mate. Um, and so I'll read this quote from, from Alan Watts and, um, and then uh, I'll introduce the guest for today because I didn't even talk about uh, that yet. Uh, the guest for today is Kyle Tierman. Um, and um, Kyle Tierman and, and I had a great conversation and uh, we're, we're going to jump into that right away. Let me just read this uh, Alan Watts quote, and then we'll, we'll get to that. So he's, uh, he's you know, talking about uh, sort of this meaning, uh, people are struggling with a meaning in life. And I posted this to my Instagram. My Instagram is uh, mikeadelic underscore podcast. And it says, so long as the mind is split, life is perpetual conflict, tension, frustration, and disillusion. Suffering is piled on suffering, fear on fear, and boredom on boredom. But the undivided mind is free from this tension of trying always to stand outside oneself and to be elsewhere than the here and now. Each moment is lived completely, and there is a sense thus of fulfillment and completeness. When you realize that you live in that you indeed are this moment now and no other, that apart from this there is no past, there is no future. You must relax and taste the full, whether it be pleasure or pain. At once, it becomes obvious why this universe exists, why conscious beings have been produced, why sensitive organs, why space, why time, why change. The whole problem of justifying nature of trying to make life mean something in terms of its future, disappears utterly. Obviously, it all exists for this moment. For life is like a dance, and when you're dancing, you are not intent on getting somewhere. The meaning and purpose of dancing is the dance. And then he has another uh, quote where he talks about how life is like music and the meaning and the purpose of music is to listen to the music, not to get to the end. If, you were, if it was to get to the end, people would show up to a concert for one big crashing grand finale and leave. He says, no, life is a musical thing and the point is to dance. Now, I just, I just love that, that Alan Watts quote, you know, because it just, it talks about so much just, um, and, um, yeah, and he's great. So go look up his stuff. He's, he's amazing. Um, Alan Watts, you know, he's not a, you know, self-help guru. You know, he doesn't write books like, uh, unfuck yourself or like, you know, 10 steps to, you know, uh, business success or hustle hard, wake up, rise and grind, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's no, it's a little bit deeper than that, folks. Um, so check them out. Anyway, on to today's guest. Today's guest, Kyle Tierman. He knows what it's like to live in the moment. He knows what it's like to take a slice out of life and, and enjoy the whole thing of it. 
<laughs> I don't know what that is. You can tell I'm wearing thin on, on stuff to say. But anyway, Kyle Dearman, he's a professional surfer, um, filmmaker, and um, podcaster. He hosts a show called The Kyle Tierman Show. Um, he's done work for the Discovery Digital Networks. Uh, he had a YouTube series called uh, Surfing for Change. And um, we talk about all this kind of stuff. Uh, he, uh, he gave a TED Talk in his wetsuit. So go check that out. I'll put all the links in the show notes here. His, um, his TED Talk was, uh, was amazing, actually. Great. It was really great because he was addressing basically the power, like the power that banks have, right? I mean, here's like a surfer guy in a wetsuit talking about banking, right? But so important because it's, it's, it, it shows how everything is connected, right? So his, pro, his program, Surf for Change, goes around the world. Looking, looking at ways that, that, you know, that they can improve environmental situations and, um, you know, because there's a lot of pollution in places like I watched one of his videos from Indonesia, all the kind of the garbage that, that is in the ocean and on the beaches and stuff. And uh, so his video that he gave a TED Talk in in his wetsuit, he was talking about how, you know, he learned about, uh, well, we get into this on the podcast, but I don't think I mentioned this part on the podcast. I didn't mention the fact that um, his video inspired people to move $360 million of money out of the centralized banks and into local banks and credit unions. Um, and uh, it's, you know, that that's just, that's amazing right i mean i talk about this on the show all the time about localization and the power of localization um so yeah we we get into all that kind of stuff he's gone all around the world you know i mean he's got an epic life right i mean this guy is and i'm you know to to a certain extent i'm like a little jealous actually because i'm jealous in in his motivation you know i just i wish i had more motivation but hey that's who i am right i'm 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 a little bit lazier I'm a little bit more of a procrastinator. What one of the one of the things I said you'll notice in later on in the interview, he was talking. You know, I'm like, yeah, he, he was telling me this this story, and I, and I just go, I'm like, oh wow, you know. So you're like, you're traveling, you're surfing, you're doing the podcast, you're making videos, and I'm like, don't you ever have a time to relax? And like, he's just like, he's like, uh, yeah, dude. Like, what do you mean? Like all the time? Like, what do you? I love my life. My life is sick. You idiot. You know, he didn't say that, but that's like. It was a stupid thing for me to say because I'm like, here's, a, here's someone who's actually living every moment of their life in the moment to the fullest doing exactly what they want to be doing. You know, to someone like me, I'm like, I'm like wow, that seems exhausting. <laughs> I'm like, that seems like it's fucking, whew, I need to just chill out and watch, you know, crush like, uh, you know, four hours of the Clone Wars on Netflix or something. But anyway, this is a great podcast. You guys are going to love it. Kyle Tierman and me get right into it. And uh, for about an hour, we talk about uh, a lot of great things. Kyle tells a lot of great stories. Okay, without further ado, enjoy this podcast, guys. Kyle Tierman. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. 
fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. A lot of different things. You wear many hats, as they say. Uh, so you you have the podcast. You you also do videos. Um, maybe maybe you could tell people kind of what you do rather than me kind of stumbling around and, and addressing it for you. Sure. Uh, yeah, I always come up with a different answer when someone asks me what I do. Cool. Uh, depending on <laughs> the, the the road that I want the conversation to take, uh, I surf professionally. Patagonia is my main sponsor. I also am a documentary filmmaker. I travel around the world um, making short form documentaries on environmental and ocean issues. I also host a podcast where I sit down with big wave surfers, psychedelic explorers, sex therapists, um, and anyone else who I find interesting. Um, so I kind of, <clears throat> I wear many hats and, and I would say that the, the theme of my life um, very much is curiosity um, and whatever medium that takes form in, I, I tend to um, go for that. Professional, curious human. I like that. That's, um, that's awesome, man. So what, you know, out of all these things, what what's currently kind of giving you know interesting you the most uh is is there one that really stands out more uh than the other ones or are they all kind of grabbing your attention hmm um you know i think that it's it's less about what it is that i'm doing whether it's making a documentary or making a podcast and more it's the how that i'm how am i doing it um i think that the the question, what is it that you do, is um, it, it's such a shallow question. I'm not saying that it was a shallow question that you made, but that's, it's just an easy question that we all ask each other. Right? Oh, my like, God. What do we do? Yeah. And then, and yeah. then we, try and, um, yeah. we try and brand each other very quickly. We try and like but, uh, identify, yeah, like make that like somebody's identity. It's like, what do you do? Oh, you're a car salesman? Boom. That's the, that's, the limits have been imposed on you. Yeah. Right, but you could you could be a sleazy car salesman, or you could be the best in the world, and you could be changing people's lives through um, through your everyday decisions. So um, I think that, like for me, I've been digging a lot recently into the why. Like, why is it that I'm doing all of these these things that I'm doing and i think that the reasons have changed dramatically since i started when i was 18 years old that's when i first um started traveling around the world making environmental um documentaries and, and surfing professionally and i think that at the beginning a lot of it the reason for that was to try and prove myself um prove myself to my family prove myself to my friends um and kind of came from like this place of like ah, i'm gonna show you like, what? I'm going to show you you're all wrong. And uh, I think that as a result, I I allowed my sense of uh, worthiness to be externally located. 
um, for quite some time. And I would say that it still kind of like wanes in and out of like my sense of okayness with myself. Um, but the last number of years I've been trying to ask my question, okay, why is it that I'm really doing this? Why is it uh, that I'm really doing this? Because I like, I know this is very kind of, we're, we're getting deep real quickly. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I, I, I think that, um, you know, if we allow our sense of okayness with ourselves to be externally located, anyone can take that away from us. If I make a documentary about plastic pollution in Indonesia, for example, that was one doc that I did, and I'm constantly um, focused on what people think of it, um, what people think of me in a really fear-based way. Um, all of a sudden I find, I feel like I'm standing on the tip of a tight, uh, on the tightrope and any little breeze can knock me off. And mm. I know that psych, I know that psychedelics are a theme in your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think that for that reason, psychedelics can be very helpful, um, for people I think that they can help people gain a sense of okayness with themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can shift their orientation to, towards why they do what they do yeah they can be great tools definitely and um and and for sure like they can they can be a catalyst to to opening up to a you know discovering your your purpose your why your meaning your mission and that sort of thing um there's this great book uh by this guy simon sinek i think his name is called uh start with why and uh i read it like several years ago and it really it's such a simple concept. And now that you bring that up, I mean, it really is important to find that, that why and kind of let that why be your anchor. Um, and, you know, you mentioned psychedelics there. And of course, this is psychedelic, and, you know, <laughs> this is a psychedelic show, sort of, kind, mostly, predominantly. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, like, just like you, I, I try and talk about whatever I'm interested in and whatever, you know, whatever I feel like talking about. Uh, you know, I did like a Star Wars movie review the other day. So anything that captures my attention, but you did mention psychedelics. So let's jump into that realm right now. Um, what, what was your like first experience, uh, like, and, and that, and was that like a catalyst for, for opening you up to, to step into the world of, of, uh, developing this larger mission of, uh, helping clean up, uh, plastic and, and, and the beaches and the ocean surf for change and all that kind of stuff. Um, it wasn't. I was uh, interested in, I guess, quote unquote, like world change work before um, psychedelics. But I think that it helped. They they helped spur me along, and I think that um, you know, like, yeah, it's it's it, obviously it's an intense. Psychedelics are an intensely personal. Um, they're intensely personal experiences for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. So what you get out of them is going to be different. And my experience with them is going to be different than someone else's. Um, But I think that like it relates back to what you were just talking about, about Simon Sizek, who I'm uh, I'm familiar with, with starting with why, where it it really can allow you to ask the questions of, of why are you doing what you're doing? Mm -hmm. Um, And um, like, I remember, for example, having a, a particularly profound experience um on using lsd once um and i was i was in big sur um the top of this mountain um this is really beautiful clear day and i was overlooking the pacific ocean um and 
the the grass was green and it was springtime and the flowers were blooming and um I think that for a long time I thought that I my purpose was to assert myself um and be a personality that was going to change people's opinions about uh any number of the issues that I had covered. And I think that that was, that came off in the documentaries that I was making. It was like this, you know, I was, I, I've been doing this kind of stuff again since I was 18 years old. I'm 27 now. So the way that I have um, learned to communicate has dramatically changed. I remember I was, I was standing up on this, this mountain looking over thinking like, okay, what's my legacy going to be? What's the, per what's my impact on the world going to be? Um, and I had this, this experience, um, like many people do, uh, when they're using psychedelics of uh, the realization of death and the realization that I'm going to die and everyone I know is going to die and everyone they know is going to die. And, and I started asking the question, okay, what is my impact really going to be? And I came to the idea that really the only, uh, impact and, and I, I'd say that the impact that I want to have is simply to be a conduit and to connect people with others and mm. that, that that can actually be a really effective uh way to live our lives and i think it's a much more graceful way to to not try and be like i was the guy who did this i was the guy who did that but um and i i remember i was looking out over the pacific ocean and as many uh kind of fractal uh visions come into mind i was thinking about like okay let's say that i let's say that um you know i was able to connect someone with this group in uh, Bali, who, you know, this is a real group that I covered while doing a, a documentary on plastic pollution. They're, they're working on liquid waste processing systems in Bali. Um, Bali has a really bad. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. It was like the, um, that was crazy. I saw, I watched that video and there was like a picture of a wave with all this trash in it. I was like amazed at how much trash there was over there. Such a beautiful yeah. place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that like, so on that level, it's subtle, but it's like, I, I realized like, okay, well, maybe my place here isn't actually to be the guy who's like making the impact myself, but almost to get like allowing myself to get out of my own way and simply connect someone who might not be aware of this issue with other people who are doing this good work. Like I, I firmly believe that the solutions of tomorrow are here today. Uh, they're just they're just not evenly distributed. People mm. just don't know about the solutions that are on hand. Right. And that was a sh that was a shift that I think may not have happened without um, uh, that site the, the the help of psychedelics. Um, and I think that also you know another experience that a lot of people have on psychedelics is the the death of the ego. Right. It's the the death of me. I I'm so great and. I think that that can allow us to get out of our own way and ultimately be more effective uh, in a more graceful way. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Psychedelics are definitely, they can definitely act as these kind of teachers that show you, um, you know, show you things kind of in, in sometimes symbolic ways or something, you know, it, it depends, you know, I've had, I've had similar experiences where something will just come to me like an epiphany or I'll be shown something in form of a metaphor, but definitely in a, in a teaching kind of way. And like you said, a conduit, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe certain people are just born to, to exist as, as conduits to be sort of, you know, uh, connectors, you know, or that, that sort of thing. And, um, you mentioned something you, you said, uh, that it didn't, you, you didn't 
sometimes uh, the information is not available for people to know. I find that to be so fascinating because I was watching your TED talk that you gave in in your wetsuit um, a couple. I guess it was a couple of years ago, and um, and uh, you you had said that you found out uh, when you were in high school. You found out that these banks uh, that they lend the, the way that the banks work, right? That they lend the money out. Um, if they don't actually just keep your money in there that you lend, that they lend it out. Now that that's something that just came into your knowledge wheelhouse at that particular time in your life. It's kind of amazing. You know, what if you hadn't learned that then, or what if you had learned that earlier and why aren't we learning things like this earlier? You know, um, right. it's, it's, it's very interesting, you know, when, yeah. when these, um, you know, when this like knowledge comes in and kicks in. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So for people who don't know um, what what we're talking about with the banks, um, where you put your money in banks is probably one of the most uh, impactful um, decisions that you can make on society and environment. Because when you put your money into a bank, it doesn't stay there. Your money is lent out and it's actually lent out at many times your actual deposit. There's a law called fractional reserve lending, where when you put money into a bank, uh, that bank is legally allowed to lend out around nine times as much money. So if you put 100 bucks into a bank, that bank is now using your money uh, to lend out around 900 bucks. And in that 900 bucks might not be going to projects that you support, right? So if you have your money in a bank uh, that's a local bank or credit union, chances are it's going to be circulating throughout your community and being lent to a local mom and pop shop, a uh, local business to help your community grow. However, there are banks, um, Bank of America, for example, I'm not a big fan of them, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, these are some of the largest funders of coal power worldwide. Um, they're kind of known for underwriting dirty uh, energy projects. And your money inadvertently uh, could be going to supporting these projects. So when I was um, a few years ago, I, I made a short documentary on um, the fact that Bank of America was allowing a proposed coal power plant down in southern Chile to um, to move forward, and kind of drew that um, the 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 disconnection between banking and the environmental world, and, and um, we were able to. It, with that project specifically get um uh at this point actually a couple hundred million dollars of um money moved out of bank of america and into local banks and credit unions around the world um and that kind of spurred this series that i started called surfing for change um where the theme of it was i would go around the world and cover environmental and ocean issues um through the lens of surfing yeah, no, that's 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 amazing. I mean, that's that's uh that's one of those things that yeah, they don't really come out and tell us, right? Like uh they don't really want that to be known. Otherwise, uh, I think a lot of people would start changing their minds ver- fairly quickly. So, it kind of falls on you. You know, thank thank goodness you uh you know, are doing this work because then you're in, you're informing people and by informing people, you're changing the consciousness of the population where more people are aware and awake to what's actually happening. Uh, and they're uh, and they're asking that question, why? You know, why? Why? You know, there we go. We're circled back to the why. It's like, well, shit. Why am I putting my money in this bank if they're doing this? Maybe I should do something else. Maybe I should look at alternatives. Hey, there's this thing called cryptocurrency. What the hell is that all about? Maybe that's better. Maybe that's going to be, you know, maybe that'll t- be a total paradigm shift. Um, 
but yeah, it's uh, so it's amazing. I I think it's it's super super important um, to to get out there and just be a, a communicator for this message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, so I've been thinking about the, this um, this concept recently. I'd, I'd like to hear what your thought is on it. Um, sure. Because we so often think about legacy. Everyone wants a legacy. What is my legacy going to be? What's the what's the imprint that I'm going to have on other people? And so often our legacy isn't going to be what we think it is because part of our legacy is the money that we spend at various businesses where we put our money the products that we come into contact with i mean ask anyone who's had a parent who's passed away dealing with all of their stuff mm. for the next few months has inadvertently become that person's legacy so i i've been thinking about the concept of of treating everything that we own or come into contact with as part of the legacy that we will pass on um, in kind of a, a roundabout and always and some somewhat unconscious way. Um, and obviously, it's impossible to have to have a purely benevolent legacy um, and be only benevolent towards other humans. But I kind of like the way of like shifting that lens a little bit onto not our legacy, not just being the, the people that we impact, but also everything that we come into contact with and, and all of the literal things that we're leaving behind. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that's, you know, I know my, um, <clears throat> my parents had to deal with something like that. They're, you know, my, when my grandparents passed away, they had to deal with all this stuff that was left over. And it was just like, it was such like a drain on them because there was so much stuff and it was just, you know, it was, um, you know, I guess they were hoarders, you know, <laughs> it was like something like that. But I think a lot of people are to a certain extent, you know, we do, we definitely use a lot of stuff and hold on to a lot of things. And I think this is actually getting back to what, you know, you, you, you mentioned you brought up death before and man, I love talking about death. I, I think about death every day and I, you know, I, I know that might sound kind of weird, but um, it's just like, Hey, we're, we're all on death row. You know, it's everyone, everyone has a sentence. There's, you know, you're not really getting out of it. Um, so, but with, you know, we, we, we have this kind of, um, mental hang up, you know, because people, they, they want to just hold on to stuff, you know, because they're, mm -hmm. they feel like maybe that they're defined by these things or that they trigger certain kinds of, uh, nostalgic memories. And it's hard to part with those things. But really, I mean, when you look at the state of the world and, and you know, the kind of uh, situation that we find ourselves in at this current moment with you know, the amount of garbage and trash and, and just all this kind of wastefulness, uh, it's pretty, um, it's, it's starting to be, you know, it's, it's far past detrimental, you know. So, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, here I go off yeah. on a, a tangent. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's um, definitely a, a good thing to think about. Yeah, well, I think that it's interesting how death is the only inevitable thing that's coming for all of us, but how infrequently most of us encounter death. Right. Uh, and how how healthy it can be to encounter death. I started bow hunting uh, about a year and a half ago. I was, um, uh, so for a number of years, I worked as a correspondent for Discovery Digital Networks covering um, ocean and environmental issues. And one of the stories that I covered was on the, this is going to be a roundabout story to death, but um, it was a story about the impact that wild pigs are having on Hawaii's coral reefs. Um, so coral reefs um, are a living animal, um, and they need very clear water 
to survive. Um, so muddy water blocks the ability for coral to photosynthesize and it contributes to coral bleaching. Now, Hawaii has this huge wild pig problem. Wild pig are, they breed um, insane amounts. A single wild pig is sexually mature at six years old, six months old, and they can have uh, up to 18 babies in a year. Wow. Um, and it just, it just keeps going. So most states in the United States actually have a wild pig problem. And the impact that they're having on the coral um, is that they rummage around in watersheds, these sensitive watersheds in Hawaii, these really beautiful deep valleys that um, house a lot of native uh, plants. And they are, pigs are basically rototillers with hooves. So they will, they will um, rummage around for grubs. Uh, and when the rains come, there's no soil retention. So when the rains come, it will create these huge mudslides, and then the mud plumes will cover the reefs. And it's a really big issue that oceanographers um, are having to deal with, and uh, a lot, a lot of land-based conservation groups are now working to um, build fences around these watersheds and support hunting of the pigs uh, because they're so detrimental to a completely separate ecosystem. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I thought that was kind of an interesting story, and I pitched it to Discovery. And uh, we went over there and we went on a wild pig hunt. Um, and I didn't actually take the shot that time because I, um, I didn't know how to bow hunt. But I was really fascinated after I saw the whole process um, and just the, the sobering experience of killing an animal and taking responsibility for it and, um, and cleaning it and eating it. And just two weeks ago, um, I went on a hunt um, by myself. And I was out in, um, out in the mountains and I was walking down this ridge. Um, wild pigs tend to come out only during the first few hours of light and the last few hours before dark, the rest of um, the day, they, um, basically bury themselves and they're impossible to find. But I was coming down this ridge and, um, when you're hunting, you always want to be you always want the wind at your face because pigs don't have great eyesight, but they have really amazing um, senses of smell. So I was I was walking down and and making sure that the wind was at my face so the the pigs couldn't smell me. And I, I'd been practicing with my bow for the last year, um, and I saw these five pigs um, that were that were sitting in this orchard. So if I had gotten any closer, I was maybe 40 yards away from them and they were behind trees, they would have seen me and ran away. So mm -hmm. I decided to sit down um, and I told myself, well, if one of these pigs comes up to me um, or, or gets any closer or I can get a good shot at it, um, then I'm going to take it. And if not, I'm not going to. Um, so I sat there for about 20 minutes um, and just creeped over this little ridgeline. Um, so they couldn't see me, but I could see them, see where they were going. And one pig, uh, a female, started making her way up the ridge towards me. And she was still behind a few trees, so I couldn't get a good shot at her. And um, sure enough, she made her way right outside of the tree and turned broadside, which means that they're facing, um, you know, the, the, the side of them is facing you. And that's where you want to get. The, the, there's... A vital organ spot to hit it with a pig that's about um, a little smaller than a pie plate because um, you want to hit them either in the heart or, or in the lungs. Okay. Um, and, and she turned broadside, and I, I stood up and took an in, inhale, exhaled 70%, 
um, and let my bow fly and shot her. Um, all the pigs ran and the, the pig that I shot bolted away and only made it, um, you know, maybe 50 yards away. And I walked up to her and, um, she was underneath a tree. Um, and she was taking her last few breaths and I, I gotten a good shot between, and I'd gotten both of her lungs. Um, and she was laying there and I put my hand on her, um, and looked at her and she looked at me and took her last few breaths, um, right there in that moment. And wow. it was an experience that I, I, I hadn't had that kind of personal and intense and, um, almost psychedelic experience, yeah, like yeah. watching and, and taking that kind of responsibility and, um, and just feeling responsibility mm. for that and feeling, um, you know, excitement and elation and sadness and grief and all of these emotions at once. But, um, I felt everything in that moment that I needed to feel, um, and then took responsibility for it and cleaned the animal. And, um, you know, I, we used every part and I've been thinking about that experience for the last few weeks because I, I think that it's, it's helped me just kind of come more to terms with death, like seeing that and experiencing that. And I, I think that it can, uh, it can be really healthy for us to have those kinds of experiences. I'm not saying that everyone should go out and, and hunt pigs, but I think that anything to promote transparency in this world, um, whether that's where the, the food that we come from or the food that we eat or, um, you know, the, the money that we spend in various banks or the products that we use, the more that we can create transparency, the more, ethically um we can live and I, I really do believe that that is an important step to changing the world yeah 100 percent. i mean wow that's just uh that's powerful stuff i i think um i've never hunted before um yeah i've i've, I've seen things i've seen like animals die uh but it, 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 not from hunting um but yeah it's uh when you're when you're right there with it it's you're you know you're like right in the whole mix of chaos and order and death and rebirth of the you know the dance of of all eternity of 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 what this life is and you know what it has been for so for so long too you know i mean let's not forget that this is a a way that people used to this is the only way that people used to get their food until now we're all fat and happy and we can sit back and we can go into grocery stores and we can just pick like the package thing that has like a picture of like a happy smiling cow on it and like a farmer you know and or whatever it's so it's weird you know like we have we yeah we've been so disconnected um and like desensitized and and like kind of like numb for it i think i think it's it's made a lot of people numb and i think when that happens you really rip people out of the state of being aware as to to their to their why to why they're doing what they're doing and they're just kind of like going on autopilot and you know don't think about death don't think about this just you know put your put your money here pay your taxes shut up don't worry about it you know and then here you are out in the woods with a fucking bow like rambo you know like <laughs> no man i want to get back to the realness 
you you're wanting you you know it's getting back to what's really real you know and what what's what's more real than breath gasping you know gnawing clawing biological sacks of meat running around uh, uh you know the dirt of the earth and and you know oozing blood out when we get hit. <laughs> i mean there's nothing more real there's nothing more real than that that's that's amazing yeah it's it's incredible yeah. you know and 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 here you are you know actually solving a problem too right because i mean you're talking about these pigs being you know they're wild pigs so you you know it's the whole relationship to predator and prey i actually just saw um this facebook post i, for, I don't know who posted i forget but someone posted something about these wolves that were reintroduced into yellowstone national park the wolves were there and then they took them out and then the the population of deer expanded so you know the deer started like ruining everything like the, the the when they removed like the alpha predators to the everything changed and the 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 whole land area was um was changing it was different and the beavers weren't building dams and the there were less bees and there were less flowers because the deer were like you know stampeding over everything so they reintroduced these wolves they reintroduced the predators and everything kind of it regenerated to to the natural kind of balance of how um, of how it should be. It's a, uh, it's quite an, yeah. ama- quite an amazing yeah. thing. It's, it's called a tropic cascade. Um, mm. when you, when you reintroduce, uh, yeah. a, a, a top predator in, because what, what ended up happening in Yellowstone was because the deer didn't have any top predators, they would hang out in, um, the, the, the valleys, the watersheds, and they would erode the, um, the cliffs. Um, right. and when they reintroduced the wolves, you know, clearly the wolves ate a few of the deer, but what, what happened was the deer's, um, their movement patterns changed because if you're a deer and you're watching out for a wolf, you're not going to hang out in the bottom of the valley. So then when the flowers started to bloom, uh, because the, the soil retention was able to, to become better, it actually changed the course of the river because then the beavers came back and it's, it's just a great example of, uh, of when you know when we try and outsmart nature it never works and when we mimic nature um it works beautifully yeah. um and i i if <clears throat> i have i have a really good good story about that if you'd like to hear yeah. um i have some friends who are ecologists and um they're working on the, the salmon um salmon issue uh-huh. uh, right now uh salmon are becoming endangered in California and they're a really badass animal. They they swim up these rivers up in the Sacramento from the ocean up to the Sacramento Delta and they um make baby salmon and then the baby salmon swim down uh out of the rivers and go out to the ocean. They swim all around the entire ocean and then they'll come back to the exact same river uh the following year and come back up. But what the issue that um that these ecologists are having with the salmon is that a lot of the, the baby salmon don't survive um, until they make it to the ocean. Um, so traditionally, the way that natural rivers flow is they meander. Very few rivers in their natural state just are deep and fast flowing mm-hmm. and, and go quickly. They kind of snake around and there are deep spots, there are shallow spots. And in the shallow spots of natural rivers, um, that's where a lot of the, um, the nutrients are. You can think about like, you know, photosynthesis, a shallow river is going to have more algal bloom, um, and more nutrients in these shallow areas. And that's where the salmon fatten up. But in, um, the Sacramento Delta, 
uh, it, it's become this kind of fast flowing straight river um, that's very, that lacks in nutrients. So the, the ecologists were trying to figure out, okay, how can we fatten these baby salmon up uh, so that they can have a better chance of survival out in the ocean and then making it back the next year. And there are uh, rice fields on the sides of the Sacramento Delta that um, farmers will flood every year um, to, to, for their rice crops. Mm-hmm. And what the ecologists figured out is that they could just create these mm-hmm. gates that the baby salmon could swim through from the, the Delta River onto the rice fields when the rice fields flooded, which are high, high nutrients than the baby salmon poop. It helps the, the rice grow. Um, and they were able to fatten the salmon up to be four times the size of the salmon that didn't go on these floodplains to fatten up for short periods of time. The, the ecologists call them the floodplain fatties. Wow. Um, and it was this example of us y- mimicking a natural system, mimicking a meandering river um, with the modern systems that we have put in place um, to very effectively um, work to save a species. And I just, I love those, those kinds of stories. And it gives me a ton of hope um, for the species that we have in, in trouble. We don't need to outsmart nature. We just need to pay more attention to it. Yeah, totally. And we, we don't need to like, you know, think about this way of, of, of kind of dominating and controlling and kind of molding everything to, you know, have these, you know, be in this, this human box that's, you know, for our comfort and pleasure. It's, uh, I think mimicking is, is definitely, uh, the way to go. I, I, I recently just saw, you know, um, there was, I'm sure you're aware of, uh, the, that there was this, uh, I forget his name. I think, uh, he's Dutch and uh, he founded a company called the ocean cleanup. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Uh, is this the uh, boy like in slot? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's his yeah, name. Boy yeah, slot. Right. So yeah. I think I saw this video. He might have given like a talk, like when he was a little bit younger, maybe four or five years ago or something. And I remember being like, "Wow, that's a great idea." And then I kind of forgot about it. And so I, t- I think it turns out that they're actually starting to to design these things and roll them out. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, there's these like trash piles in the ocean that they're deploy, de, you know, deploying them to. And it, and the whole, the whole thing of it is it's this really simple system that, mi- that mimics the way that plastic moves in the ocean. And it actually conforms to the waves, the natural wave patterns of the ocean. And it kind of, uh, you know, I don't know everything about it, uh, but it, it, it sort of mimics the natural behavior of the ocean to collect the, the garbage. I thought it was pretty, sure. pretty damn yeah, impressive. No, I, I, yeah, no, I know quite a bit about it. Oh, so, cool. Um, yeah, there we go. Yeah, That's so, why so I have you on the show. About, <laughs> sure. Um, so there, um, you know, there are actually not big piles of trash in the ocean. Um, that stat that people talk about all the time that you know there's this pile of trash twice the size of texas out in the middle of the ocean is a misconception what people are talking about is the gyres so hmm. in our oceans there are five gyres around the world there are these massive currents in the middle of the ocean the largest one is the north pacific gyre so if uh if you drop a plastic bottle off of california for example eventually it will end up in the north pacific gyre this huge swirling toilet bowl that's much bigger than twice the size of texas so if you go out there like one of these groups, uh, one of them is, is known as the five gyres. Um, that's where the accumulation of plastic 
um, is. And, and it's, I, I would liken it to plastic confetti, mm. much, much less than an island. So they go in there with, and they, to actually measure plastic um, content. And it's really frightening. I mean, the, the scientists project that by 2050, plastic will outweigh fish in the ocean. Um, it's a it's a very underexposed issue, and I think more more people need to know about it. And um, what this kid boy in slot is doing is is he's basically creating these. Or the concept is to um, stop the plastic confetti um, and then take it in to recycle it. I I have um, and this is kind of controversial. I have issues with that as a solution because. It actually takes the responsibility off of us. Mm. Like, for example, in in L.A., um, when smog was a huge issue in the 80s, there were all these grand ideas to um, to solve the issue. One of them was to create the we're going to create these huge smog turbines and it's going to suck the smog in and it's going to save the day. What ended up helping with smog? is smog checks that <laughs> every car has to get a smog check now that helps reduce smog in LA and i think that when there are these systems and 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 systems that are still in concept for example i think that like look if this kid pulls it off fuck yeah more power to him but he hasn't and the amount of media that he has received and what that does to people who don't know much about the issue tends to be well okay this kid's figuring it out for me the reality is that we all need to figure it out, and mm. it's going to come down to individual decisions. It's going to come down to us not choosing to get a plastic bag or a plastic bottle. It's going to come down to us um, banning bags in our own communities. It's going to come down to us putting pressure on companies like McDonald's to not use polystyrene in their packaging. Because, look, a lot of the countries around the world, other besides America, are actually um, – it, it's – it's about what we do with the plastic, right? So like, let's say this kid figures it out. We get all the plastic back on shore. What then? Like, we very few plastic products can be made into the same plastic project, product. So what we're talking about, um, when we're talking about recycling, many times we're talking about downcycling. We're talking about a bunch of plastic bottles being made into a picnic bench at your local park or being made into some surfboard shorts. At the end of the day, it still ends up in the landfill at some point. So I think that the solution for us to really be thinking about and kind of the, the paradigm that we need to be thinking about is zero waste. Um, I think that that's really the only way that we're going to be able to get out of this solution long term is to think about systems that we can create where we are not just downcycling, but we are regenerating um, with the products that we use and, and the way that we live our lives. So I know that is kind of a long-winded way to to say this kid's not just solving the problem for us, but um, I think it's more complicated than just saying like, oh, he's he's got it handled for all of us. No, well, I'm really I'm really glad you did say that because as someone who who isn't so familiar with the issues, I do look at that as an outsider and say, oh, wow, it looks like there's some real innovations happening here. And, um, you know, living on one of the largest trash heaps in the world that is New York City, um, you know, it's like, it's like, it's hard for me to, uh, I don't know, it's just I'm not, I'm not so exposed in, into that world. But, but you're right, you make such a good point, because um, 
there that is that is a common kind of uh perception where uh you know I, I was reading this book a, a little while ago called the quest for community and it's all about how um the community is very important uh you know local kind of civic engagement uh townships having sort of lodges and clubs and and ways for people to get involved and be a part of their community you know and and that how that's kind of gone away with the rise of kind of a larger uh centralized government whereas because these things are are you know people just assume well somebody's taking care of it you know where am i where's my tax dollars going well they're going somewhere someone's doing something with it so i don't need to get involved because it's some it's being taken care of somehow but that that's not necessarily the case you know right i mean that's, that's yeah it, it rarely is and i would liken the idea that is so prolific that technology will save us mm. i would liken it to a religion right in in some ways it's like it's okay it's this external thing that's beyond my knowledge and beyond my control that's going to one day save us all and like when you look at when i look at the solutions that are actually being implemented right now when i go and i make a film on the people that are doing the good work you know in bali or or uh, in chile or any one of these countries that i visited it's people who are on the ground in the trenches making shit happen you know it's it, i don't try and save the world try and uh or don't try and change the world try and change your neighborhood you know it's people who are trying to change their neighborhood and they're they're engaged with a small group of citizens that are actually making the difference it's not the ones who think that some big fancy external uh solution is going to come down from the top and save us all yeah yeah. Well, yeah, right. And then, you know, if you if you do think that way, you know, banking on technology or even, you know, um even currently right now, you know, I know a lot of people, I, I know a couple of people who are um, you know, currently taking medication, uh, you know, Zoloft, these sorts of things. Um other other sorts of things, you know, medication whereas I I'm I'm kind of a big believer in maybe I mean, it's not it's not so much of a belief. I, I'm pretty sure it's objectively true in a lot of these cases where, look, you know, maybe if you change your lifestyle a little bit, maybe if you ate a little healthier, maybe you got went outside and, and had some exposure to the sun, maybe if you took some cold showers and did some push-ups and, you know, had some fruit every once in a while, instead of just, you know, no, I'm going to continue with the lifestyle that I'm leading that's actually killing me, and I'm just going to take this pill to kind of cover it up. So that yeah. it's really, I think that's really something that is, uh, is, is like in the predominant narrative for the, for the mainstream consciousness of America, you know, especially for America, a lot of people still inhabit that kind of space of, of, of that way of thinking. Um, yeah, it's a very, it's a very fractured way of looking at things. It's like, it's like saying, well, uh, I have this broken leg, um, but I'm, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm going to work on my biceps right now. <laughs> I'm going to get some great fucking biceps. I'm, you should check these biceps out. Girls are going to love them. Welcome to the right? gun we're not, show. We're not, yeah. Welcome to the gun show. You got tickets? Uh, and it's, it, I think that, that is, that's the issue, right? There's not one, one silver bullet issue. It's, we got to look at it as a system. We are a system. The world is a system. Um, and I think that the more that we can look, um, and, and, and take, um, systematic approaches to our solutions, um, and once again, by just noticing nature more, 
they're they're right there at our fingertips. Yeah, yeah, amen. I mean, uh, I'm totally totally in agreement with you on that for sure. Um, so what what's uh, what's currently occupying your your time right now, uh, Kyle? What what are what are you feeling most passionate about? Uh, in, in terms of, you know, maybe projects that you have coming up or things that you're thinking about, maybe things that you've read or watched recently that have, have got you thinking anything, uh, tickling your brain. I watched a really good documentary recently called the internet's own boy. Uh, it's a story of a kid named Aaron Swartz who yeah. was co-founder of Reddit. Right. Um, and he was a really brilliant internet activist and it's a well-told story. Uh, he was one of the main guys who um, was responsible for stopping uh, SOPA, which was the Stop Online Piracy Act, uh, which happened, I believe it was back in 2013. It was one of the most underexposed uh, internet success stories um, of of our time. I don't want to give too much away, but it's a a really good doc. So I recommend checking that out. Uh, I also just saw a really good doc um, called Jim and Andy. Oh, my Uh, God. Yeah, I just saw that too. yeah. Yeah. About, wow! Uh, about Jim Carrey uh, playing Andy Kaufman uh, in the movie Man on the Moon. Um, fantastic! I really recommend that. Um, and yeah, other than that, I have a few. I was just down in Chile um, writing a story about a um, a really exciting land conservation success at this wave called Punta de Lobos. Um, it's one of Chile's most well known waves it's this really beautiful left hand point break the waves go for over 300 yards um it's overlooked by these this cliff that um has blooming yellow wildflowers and still largely undeveloped um horse stables and you know it looks like it looked a few hundred years ago um and a group of people uh came together and they decided that they were going to buy it and turn it into a land trust and protect it forever. Um, there was a uh, hotel bid to build this huge um, multi-story building on the uh, on the property, and it was um, a, a guy who was a, a local professional surfer named Ramon Navarro teaming up with um, a group of people, uh, as well as um, this this uh, wealthy guy from from Santiago, to raise money. They raised um, $900,000 together, and they bought this property and now are turning it into this education center. And it was a really inspiring success story that I was able to go down and and document um, in a time when land conservation issues uh, are kind of at the forefront of of people's consciousness in America. Um, Mm -hmm. It was a really cool model also. I, I, I won't give too much away on that. Uh, either, but I think the story is going to be out next month. Um, so cool. I've, I'm working on that. Um, and yeah, man, you know, never, never a dull moment. Just, uh, yeah, really <laughs> never a dull. So you're like, you're, you travel, you're traveling around, you're making documentaries, you're doing podcasts. Um, you know, you're, 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 you have the activism thing going on and, and the surfing, of course. So what, uh, do you, do you ever have like just downtime just to like take a breath? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I have a, a pretty, pretty darn good life, man. I mean, I, I get to do what I love, um, and you know, get, get paid to learn about shit and figure out interesting ways to explain it to people. Yeah. Um, so I would say that I have a, a pretty good tempo on, um, you know, when I feel like I'm 
push it a little too hard and I'm going to burn out um, and when I need some downtime. But um, So you're going, at, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, you're going at your I'm own another, speed. You're your own boss. Yeah, I mean, as, as much as I can, you know. Um, another book that I want to recommend, uh, and you may have, you might know this book um, already, but I think your audience would really enjoy it. It's called The Psychedelic Explorer's Guide by oh, yeah, a guy yeah. named... By, uh, by a guy named Dr. Jim Fadiman. I've had him on my podcast twice. Um, and he's considered one of the foremost researchers in uh, safe uh, and therapeutic uses of psychedelics. I'm all for safety if people are going to start using psychedelics because um, they are powerful um, and we, they should be taken with reverence. Um, and I was actually just reading, I was rereading the book tonight uh, and I read a really amazing story in it about how psychedelics were responsible for the environmental movement. Mm. Um, and it's a story about a guy named Stuart Brand, who oh, yeah. Yeah. was sitting on the top of uh, a building in San Francisco, looking out at the Pacific Ocean, and he took uh, 100 micrograms of LSD. And he was staring at the ocean, he was watching, looking at the curvature of the Earth um, and, and the curvature of, of the ocean vast ocean um going down and he was thinking about the fact that um around that time buckminster fuller had been going on and on about how all of the um the issues of the world were rooted in the fact that we thought that the earth was infinite mm -hmm. um we thought that it just went on and on and we could do whatever we wanted to it and um it wouldn't make a difference so Stuart Brand was sitting up there and the LSD started kicking in and he thought to himself, why haven't we seen a photo of the whole earth? Mm -hmm. This is a time when satellites were orbiting the earth, but there had not been a um, photo of the whole earth released to the public. So the very next day when he was done with his trip, he went to, um, to Berkeley and he put up a sign and made buttons that said why haven't we seen a photo of the whole earth uh, he started passing the pins out to students uh, one of the campus officers kicked him off the local paper reported on the story and he had his platform he then went around to MIT and Harvard and created uh, a bit of a movement with these pins and bumper stickers saying why haven't we seen a photo of the whole earth and a couple of years later, um, NASA released the first photo of the whole Earth. It's that famous uh, photo of um, the Earth suspended in space, and all of a sudden, all of the humans, all of the humans, could see um, the greens and browns of the continents and the blues of the ocean. And we had a way to look at ourselves from a whole new perspective. Um, and that year. The um, Stuart Brand created the Whole Earth Catalog, which largely spurred the 60s environmental movement. Um, and the, I believe it was the very next year was the first Earth Day um, in April. And that then, I think that single photo allowed humans to interact with the earth in a completely new way because we had a new perspective and that might have not happened um had he not taken 100 micrograms of lsd on the top of that san francisco roof oh yeah man what a good story yeah Stuart brand um the whole earth catalog i remember 
Steve Jobs talking about that and how much of an impact it had on him. Um, and Steve Jobs kind of stole his line from the whole, his, the last printing of the whole Earth catalog and gave it in his uh, commencement speech at Stanford where Stuart Brand signed off uh, his last episode, or the last, not episode, I'm thinking in podcast terms, his last um, publishing of the magazine. Uh, it's, he said, stay hungry, stay foolish. You know, kind of keep that kind of foolish curiosity of the child and, and look at things from that kind of mindset and stay hungry, stay motivated for change. Uh, what, a, what a beautiful uh, invention, you know, to, to come about. And, um, and yeah, why, you know, the, I, thought, I thought you were going to say, why haven't we seen uh, a picture of the whole earth? Well, because it's flat. That's why. And I'm, cut, and I'm a flat earther and I'm like, oh, big revelation in the show. Kyle Dearman's a yeah. flat earther. No. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for round two. Round two, we can talk about. Earth. <laughs> yeah, but no, no I mean, the this earth, it's the, uh, the Earth is round, everyone. The yeah, it's very, round. it's very round, and it's profound. To uh, that was a great story, and I'm glad you shared that because it is such, you know, kind of maybe this is you know circling back to kind of where we started the show, you know, talking about uh, the meaning and why and everything, and it's and it's really getting that perspective, getting gaining that perspective, something that you've 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 never had before in your life. Um, I think, uh, you know, it was, um, the, the, it's called the, I think it's called the astro, the, the overview, the, the overview effect is, um, is this like cognitive shift in awareness that's reported by astronauts when they go into space and, and they see the earth, um, you know, in orbit from, from, from the, from wherever they are in the space station or whatever, when you get up to that point and then the ability to share that then with the public, that overview effect it's like oh my god like this is this is our home this is where we are we're looking right at it you know there's that pale blue dot that rock floating in the middle of nowhere everything that's happening is happening here when you're when you're you know you're throwing junk out in it's getting in the ocean or whatever you know you're you're doing it to yourself you're doing it to your home right i mean it's it really it really comes into it i know it kind of gets a little hacky to say that but it comes it comes really full you know into you into your full being, at least it does for me when, you know, when you experience something like that. So thanks for sharing that story. That was cool. Yeah, man. Well, um, look, we, we need nature to thrive. Uh, and a lot of those life changing insights that we have into our own lives tend to happen in nature. So, uh, I think that it's only natural that we do everything we can to protect it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well said. Kyle, thanks so much for for being on this show. Um, do you want to tell people where they can go and find you and follow up on your stuff? Um, sure, man. Um, my website is kyle.surf, not kyle.surf.com, just kyle.surf. Uh, I do a monthly email where I tell people about the best books I've been reading, documentaries I've been watching, everything and every, anything. Um, do a podcast, make documentaries. I'm on Instagram. They'll find me however they want to find me. Awesome. Can I ask you one last question before we totally wrap? Uh, what would you say to people out there that are listening that want to get involved and, and are doing, you know, that maybe look at what you're doing and say, hey, I want to do something like that? Where do they start? You know, where, how, do they, how do they get moving on, on this kind of stuff? Um, whew, well, you know, man, uh, I, I think that the, the the best decision I've ever made in my life has been to surround myself with really good people, um, smart people, people who inspire me, people who have skills that I want to learn. Um, so 
I mean, Tim Ferriss has a great quote, says, you're the median of the five people you surround yourself with most. So whatever it is that you want to get involved with, surround yourself with those five people. Excellent. Thanks again, Kyle. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Till next time. Peace. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast as much as I did. You know what to do if you love this show. Share it, like it, spread it with your friends. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a neighbor, tell a coworker. And uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank. You can donate as little as a dollar a month. Or you could go on iTunes and leave me a nice five-star rating and review. Whatever you do, thank you for listening. Much love to you all. Peace. <laughs>